Hamilton police have not kept track of when they've used their armored vehicle. PA police chief is out after commission report finds that police action led to the death of a baby. Coroner's inquest in St. John makes 21 recommendations after investigating death in prison of an Indigenous man due to COVID. And the second child in two weeks has died in U.S. border custody. Good morning. It's Friday. It's Friday, May 19th. I'm Nora and here are your headlines. Hamilton police have an armored vehicle. First operated in 2013, police at the time argued that they needed an armored vehicle to, quote, evacuate people from extreme situations, protect officers from gunfire, help in off-road situations, and move obstacles, unquote. Bobby Hristova with CBC News adds that the tank is also brought out for community events, because of course it is. Let's forget the fact that the state has a monopoly on violence and that this is obviously frivolous and ridiculous. Anyway, critics at the time pointed out that the $279,000 machine was an extremely silly purchase. And CBC Hamilton wanted to know what exactly the armored vehicle is being used for. However, that information is pretty hard to get. At least it'll cost CBC Hamilton if they want to find a little bit more. In answer to a Freedom of Information request, Hamilton police say that the truck has made, quote, at least 1,000 trips, unquote, though they don't say much more than that. They couldn't tell CBC how many of those trips actually involved the truck being used. Hisrova writes that there's no way to know the difference between the vehicle being used in an extreme situation. For example, I mean, I'll guess here, like in a shootout between rival Hell's Angels or something. And, uh, you know, uh, the tank. Uh, heading to the pump for uh, Philip. To find out this information, the police force claims that it would take 10,000 minutes of work and cost $5,060. The police say that the tank has quote-unquote roughly 2,000 kilometers on it, and the department spent $60,490 in parts and labor, including replacing the engine. Now, I don't know a whole lot about cars and trucks, and I certainly don't know much about armored vehicles, but 2,000 kilometers doesn't seem like a long enough a distance to necessitate a full engine change. So that alone, I mean, what? <laughs> CBC Hamilton is appealing the decision of Hamilton police to charge the money for the information request to Ontario's privacy commissioner. Hamilton police have said that they don't have this information partly because no one had asked about it. Except CBC Hamilton had asked about it back in 2014. When they asked in 2014 what's up with this vehicle, they were told that the numbers, quote-unquote, weren't ready. Herstova talked to Kevin Walby, an associate professor of criminal justice at the University of Winnipeg, who reminds readers that every bullet is tracked and that he finds it hard to believe that deploying the tank wouldn't be. Quote, Walby said that if they haven't made a log of the truck's movement, the only other answer is it's a complete waste of taxpayer dollars and was just a toy that they bought for which there is no use, unquote. You should take a moment and look up a picture of this truck. It literally looks like a child used Lego to make what they thought would be the coolest looking war truck. Not quite a Jeep, not quite a hearse, but it has Jordy from Star Trek glasses covering the windshield. A month ago, Hamilton declared a state of emergency over the state of homelessness in the city. Next, to an update of a story that I've mentioned before on the Daily News. 
The report into what happened to baby Tanner Brass, who was killed by his father while Prince Albert police arrested his mother, has found that he died as a result of officers' neglect of duty. The Public Complaints Commission found that the two officers who responded that night were neglectful for not entering the home that evening to check on baby Tanner. It is now up to the police to determine disciplinary action. The Saskatoon Star Phoenix's Julia Peterson is reporting that the chief of police, Jonathan Bergen, announced his retirement over the decision found in the report. Bergen said that he has been at the center of a targeted harassment campaign from current and former members of the PA Police Service, or the PAPS. Bergen made the decision to refer the incident to an independent investigation rather than having an internal investigation. As a result, he received quite a lot of harassment. He also decided to remove the two officers at the heart of the complaints until the commission filed this report. He said, quote, but what I did not expect for my service in the community I trust and value is the level of aggressive personal attack and contrived character assassination of me and my leadership team and the cruel and misdirected emotional assault on my family orchestrated by a select few. Largely, the attacks have been cowardly and anonymous, unquote. Bergen had been with the Paps for 25 years. Now to St. John, New Brunswick, where a coroner's jury has made recommendations after an investigation into the death of Skylar Sapier. He had caught COVID at the St. John Regional Correctional Center and died at the St. John Regional Hospital. He was almost finished a 96-day sentence. The jury made 21 recommendations. Sapier was Nguitkuk, 28 years old and a father of two. Many of the recommendations from the coroner's jury were logistical, like ensuring there's an overnight nurse at the correctional facility between 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. A snowstorm delayed Sapier's transfer to hospital, and so the jury also recommended that transfer vehicles all be equipped with four-wheel drive, snow tires, and that roads be plowed. Cook Chief Ross Perley said this in a statement. Quote, there was a shocking contrast between the compassionate, caring testimony provided by hospital staff and the level of ambivalence displayed by correctional staff in this incident. I have no faith, after sitting through this inquest, that other Indigenous people will not face the same risk to their life in provincial correctional facilities. As a result of this inquest, I am left with one demand, the calling of an Indigenous-led inquiry into systemic racism that is on full display in today's justice system. We need immediate action before more people die, unquote. I'll also just pause here to mention that in the last story in Prince Albert, the fact that the FSIN conducted their own investigation into what happened the night that baby Tanner died put Indigenous people's voices into an investigation that impacted them directly. And it's hard to imagine that the exact same result would have happened had the FSIN not played that role. And so Chief Purley's call here for an Indigenous-led inquiry into systemic racism is very, very, very important. And he's right that it would likely lead to recommendations and findings that would not happen otherwise. Now, in the CTV Atlantic story about the death of Sapier, it does not have this information, but I do have this information at my fingertips. So here you go. At least 14 people have died in correctional facilities in Canada due to a COVID-19 infection that they caught while incarcerated. The number 14 is likely low, but that's the official tally per provincial and federal reporting so far. And finally, a second child has died in two weeks in U.S. border control custody. The most recent child was an eight-year-old girl from Panama named Anadith Tane Reyes Alvarez. Her parents are Honduran, and so the information was released by Honduran Consul Jose Leonardo Naval. Her and her family were being held in Harlingen, Texas, in the Rio Grande Valley. Her family was her parents and two older siblings. The girl had had heart problems. 
She'd been operated on to address some of those problems three years ago in Panama, according to her father. Clearly, being held by U.S. border agents is not safe for a child who might need medical care. Two weeks ago, Angel Eduardo Maradiaga Epinoza, a 17-year-old from Honduras, died in the custody of U.S. Health and Human Services Department. He was traveling alone. And earlier in 2023, a four-year-old girl from Honduras died at a hospital in Michigan, also in the care of Health and Human Services. The girl was medically fragile and unaccompanied. She experienced cardiac arrest. Things are getting worse at the U.S.-Mexico border. Al Jazeera is reporting that last week, hundreds of people were held between two border walls in San Diego on U.S. soil. Reports Al Jazeera, quote, many subsisted for days on a limited border patrol diet of water and chips or granola bars and whatever volunteers or vendors pass through the openings in the wall, unquote. An infant in medical distress triggered a 911 call by volunteers at the suggestion of Border Patrol agents. The camp has already been disbanded. Illnesses are really common among people who are forced into these inhumane conditions as they wait for their files to be processed. Children especially are falling ill. As of Sunday, there are 22,259 people being held by Border Patrol, which is unusually high compared to previous periods. Those are your headlines for Friday, May 19th. I hope you have a wonderful and restful weekend. It is a long weekend, so happy Journée des Patriotes at, at tout le monde. Happy Patriots Day, which is what we celebrate in Quebec, and happy Monarchy Day in the rest of Canada. I will be here on Monday. I won't take Monday off, so tune in on Monday morning for some daily news.